This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. It's time for Bite Into It, where we discuss everything that's new, exciting, thought-provoking and maybe even a little bit scary in the world of computers, new technology, online culture, games and everything in between. My name is Dan Salmon. It's great to be joining you. And here in studio with me and on panel is Dan Morganti. Dan, how are you doing, mate? Yeah, good. How are you? I'm, I'm very well. It's, it's, it's good to be here with you. Yeah. Um, coming up on the show, uh, are gamers really slowing down the NBN? Uh, a few months ago, the CEO of NBN co-implied that they might, but it is perhaps a little bit more complicated than that. Joining us in studio to discuss it will be Robbie Fordyce and David Cumming from the Network Society. Society Institute at the University of Melbourne. But before we do that, let's start as we always do with the latest news. Dan, there's a bit of uh, worrying stuff going on in the world of uh, data privacy, I believe. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the Australian government has uh, released um, uh, a draft bill called the Assistance and Access Bill uh, that involves compelling device manufacturers and telcos uh, to give backdoor access to their devices. Um, So it's it was originally conceived uh, for to, for government agencies to access criminals' data, mm. but the bill gives um, government agencies, and it doesn't say which government agencies, sweeping powers to really view anyone's encrypted information. Uh, yeah. Now, the, the, we're talking... Uh, it's, I suppose it's... it's a continuation, I guess, of a trend that we've seen over the last few years, particularly, you know, in the wake of, you know, the Snowden affair and all the stuff that the US uh, security and UK security organisations have been tapping into data and, you know, various backlashes from um, the the big players, you know, your Google and Facebook and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, for, and initi- having initially kind of bought into it and giving every, giving all of their, our data away, they're now uh, trying to get get us back on side. Um it's it's good to see that Digital Rights Watch uh, are on the case. They uh, they are kind of fighting for our, our digital rights as they often do. We've had we've had a, a, the team from Digital Rights Watch in a few times over the last few years talking about the the implications of what's uh, going on. But I think is, is this this is one of the first times that we've seen like le- legislation, or not one of the first times, but the latest time we've seen legislation yeah. that's Australian specific that yeah. is actually going to affect us. Yeah, well, the good news is it's also just a draft bill. So mm. there's a period of consultation. So um, if you head to the Digital Rights Watch uh, website, um, they are taking submissions um, for... Um, people to oppose the bill. So if you go to digitalrightswatch.org.au and they'll give you a link to the... um, to the, the website, the submission, yep. yeah, the submission, so, and they've got a um, message all pre-prepared for you, so you just have to uh, copy and paste or hit absolutely, enter. or you can be a bit creative and come up with uh, your own ideas. You've got until uh, September ten, so I think I believe that's next. The well, I want to say Sunday, this coming Sunday, five days, five days from now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if if, if uh, it's something that's kind of concerning you, it's w- it's well worth uh, getting, having it having your voice. Everyone, right? Absolutely, it concerns everyone. One thing that is somewhat concerning, but in a different way, I suppose, it's it's um, a few weeks ago we saw Apple become the first company that's worth a trillion US dollars, which is an unfathomable, unfathomable? <laughs> Thanks, think, mate. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> amount of money. Um, hot on the heels of Apple doing that, it's now Amazon's turn. Now, uh, it, uh, earlier today, Amazon.com, obviously, I think we've all, we all know what Amazon does in terms of selling stuff to us. They've hit a value of $1 trillion US dollars on the New York Stock Exchange. Um, but 
they did promptly drop back below a million, a trillion dollars um, by the end of trading. But I, th- I think it's fair to say that they'll probably get up, get up there. It just it blows my mind that there is that. that that's greater than the GDP of a lot of countries. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, you know, for whatever reason, good or bad, it just I don't know the, that that amount of money makes me uncomfortable. Oh, for anyone to have like with all that money comes a lot of power. And although we were just talking about. Uh, um, Apple and uh, Google protecting our privacy mm. and not giving in to the government. They're also, they've got tremendous power Absolutely. Uh, to swing in the halls of um, the politics. This uh, is it. And, you know, they, they uh, can do a lot of the things that they, they can just do what they like. Um, it, it is interesting of that trillion dollars, I think it's $180 billion of that it belongs to Jeff Bezos himself, yeah. which is just, again... It's ridiculous. But, I mean, um, it, it's it's interesting because we'll see a, a lot of these tech companies are actually being hauled before the US co- uh, Congress at the moment to testify uh, about uh, their data breaches and the, the way that they've been treating their customers. So it'll be interesting to see uh, what, what goes on there. Yeah, for sure. Mm. Speaking of big companies, uh, one my, of the biggest. Microsoft. Yep. Uh, they finally added uh, Skype call recording to... Um, their famous video um, call app. Yeah. Now, this is something that I didn't... I mean, I've I've noticed using Skype that it doesn't exist, but it's I've never noticed that I've needed it yeah. in order for it. Well, I have seen, uh, like, on YouTube and things like that, interviews done over Skype. Yeah. Um, so I imagine it's some third-party software that they had to use to record on Skype. Mm. Um, I mean, it'll make life a lot, inter- lot more a- easier for us uh, being able to do Skype interviews with people overseas and then broadcasting them. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but um, I, I'll be interested to see exactly uh, how, how useful it is as a tool. Because, well, I mean, a, lo- a lot of people, like, in, in, in my day job, we do use Skype for business quite a bit. Um, and... It'll be. I, I wonder whether recording it will actually be something that is worth doing. I guess you know, keep keeping track of what what's said in meetings. I guess if you, if you're taking the minutes, it might be useful. But uh, I don't know. Does it actually? Actually, here's one thing. Does will it tell you? that the other person is recording you if you are using Skype. Yeah, it, sends it does a, do that. Yeah, it sends a banner to the uh, other person, the person on the other line, so there's no, no surprises that yeah. uh, no one's going to um, say something that they would rather not say on uh, TV or video. Okay. Um, well, that, that, that fills me with a little bit more confidence, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we did touch on Apple just before. Yes. Um, they've, they've, they've joined an illustrious group. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> And that, that is the illustrious group of companies that run self-driving cars that have had crashes. Um, earlier in the year, we've seen uh, Tesla, unfortunately, a person passed away in a crash uh, in one of the Tesla self-driving cars. Um, and I think I think Uber have been trying this. Uh, they, you know, they've got, they're testing flying drones and all kinds of stuff to pe- move people around. But Apple um, was... Uh, Testing a a car that was it was called, oh, hold on I've lost the article here but it was it was it was a modified Lexus that it was uh, that it was driving and it was entering onto an expressway in the US and uh, hit another car. Luckily, no one was injured um, owing to the fact that one of the cars didn't have anyone in it. But also, luckily, the person in the other car. Uh, was not injured. Um, it's just inevitable. With it is things inevitable like, with things like this. I don't um, know. It just seem, it seems to be one of these things where we're just going to keep seeing this, and it's either going to become normalised to the point where people don't care anymore, or it's just going to keep heightening people's anxiety about it to the point where it will never become adopted at a at a wholesale level. Yeah. I don't know. How do you feel about it? Well, 
I would like to see it, uh, you know, in perfect conditions, see the, the data between um, human crashes and uh, self-driving car crashes, mm. but we'll never be able to get that data fully with it if, they, if it's not fully embraced. I guess not. Well, I suppose if you, if you put it that way, when you think about it, we're not, we might not be reporting... I mean, we obviously don't report on every car crash that happens in yeah. the world every day. We don't hear about all of those. We might hear about ones that are in our regional, ones that are particularly terrible, um, but... With it, with the autonomous self-driving car being such a new thing, every time one crashes, yeah. we're hearing about it. So they're, we're hearing they're just it. under the microscope exactly. at the moment. So yeah, so, so maybe it isn't all doom and gloom. So blue. yeah, compared compared to like human error, I would say that this kind of thing is probably far less than um, what what you'd expect in like just regular people driving. But um, yeah, just because it's so new and um, everyone's so keen, keeping a keen eye on it, it's. Mm. Um, yeah, it's always going to be reported on any small slip-up or anything. This is true. One thing, and I'm, I'm, I'm channeling uh, Warren here with my segues, uh, one thing that will help you not slip up in the future is um, a new uh, clock that has been developed by scientists in Adelaide. Um, the, the Institute for Photonics and Advanced Sensing in Adelaide, in conjunction with Cryolock, have for the past 20 years been working on a clock that they have. They now say will take. it is so accurate it will, will not lose time for 40 million years. That's precision engineering. That is precision engineering right now. Now, um, I was uh, in the UK recently and I went to the uh, Greenwich uh, Observatory, which has a big uh, kind of thing about the history of time and not the history of time, but the history of uh, clocks and the history of measuring time. And it was fascinating to see, you know, coming from, you know, pendulums and yeah. how to kind of make pendulum clocks work on ships that, and those kind of stuff. Is that called horology or something like that? I believe that could be the word. Yeah, I don't know. You've, you've plucked that one out of the air. So I'm going <laughs> to believe you. I'm going to believe you. But this uh, this particular clock um, is a thousand times more precise than any other commercial system currently available. It ticks 10 billion times a second. That's, uh, yeah. So that's 30 billion times since I last spoke. Yeah. Um, and the cryogenic in the device's name comes from the 1,200-carat sapphire crystal that needs to be cooled to minus 267 degrees. So we're approaching absolute zero um, in order to uh, measure it. So it measures, I think, the rotation of this particular sapphire crystal or the, the atoms in this sapphire crystal. That must draw a lot of power. I would imagine it would draw a huge amount of power. I don't think we're going to be seeing this clock on your wall anytime <laughs> soon. Just in, in your uh, oven as well. Yeah. Just, just in your oven. Um, um, is gaming clogging up our broadband? Now, you may remember a few months ago now, the, I believe, CEO, possibly just the head of the, uh, NBN Co, Bill Morrow, told a parliamentary inquiry that gamers are predominantly responsible for slowing down fixed wireless speeds on the NBN network. Now, with uh, Australia's biggest ever esports tournament uh, happening in Melbourne last weekend, uh, Robbie Fordyce and David Cumming of the University of Melbourne's Network Society Institute have been looking into how fair these uh, comments were. Robbie and David, thank you very much for joining us here on Bite Into It. Thank you. Th thanks for having us. Not a problem at all. Now, when you first heard those comments that Bill Morrow made, um, what was your immediate reaction? Uh, so I guess... To sort of uh, put him on the spot, it's um, it's not a particularly fair comment to be making about uh, how games are played in Australia using uh, network infrastructure, and it's also not really fair generally about how games are played. I guess um, you know it would be perhaps unfair to uh, sort of 
fix the entire claim to him because he did try to backpedal it um, almost immediately after saying it. But I think there's sort of a, a political demand going on there uh, on his, his side of the equation to try and to push the problems of the national broadband network onto a sort of isolated groups that are maybe already kind of unpopular. Is this also a fair assumption of the word gamer? Because it says gamers are taking up the, the broadband, but not all games involve network, uh, network play. So Absolutely. Um, I think that's a really good point, Dan. Um, so gaming, uh, y- you know, a lot of people refer to themselves as gamers, but I don't necessarily, you know, th- there's a lot of people that also play games without thinking of themselves as gamers as well. So a lot of people who maybe they play Candy Crush on the phone on the way in, um, on to work, or maybe people who uh, play Pokemon Go around the city. Maybe they don't necessarily think about themselves as being gamers, but you know they're part and parcel of the the broad spectrum of Australia that likes to play uh, games around the place. Um, I think more broadly, though, there's a sort of specific idea that people have in mind when they think about gamers. Uh, potentially, people that are into things like live streaming, esports, competitive gaming, and so on. So, and do you think that's a like a fair characterization? Because obviously there are other uses for NBN that are tying up perhaps uh, the the data that we're using. Like, are gamers really that big a proportion of what's being used? Uh, okay, so <clears throat> obviously it changes from game to game. If you're going to be playing a card game over the internet, it's not going to be demanding that much of the of the um, resources sort of allocated to you. Uh, if you're playing something that maybe uh, like a first-person shooter or some sort of game where you're uh, fighting against friends in real time that might demand a little bit more uh, of the internet infrastructure's sort of capacities. But I don't know if that's really even all that much because if you look to... Um, like, I think... Personally, my perspective on the use of gamers by Bill Morrow in this instance is sort of around the fact that he's able to isolate maybe a specific group that we maybe associate with high internet usage. But actually, what I see as being the real responsibility for these sort of uh, increased demands on the NBN is actually like the fairly predictable rise in the use of Netflix and a, a sort of associated streaming services like Stan or Presto. Um, or, you know, the various ABC and SBS services. And, you know, we, we saw those coming and we saw the usage of those services increasing at a relatively sort of geometric uh, rate, increasing over time. Nothing sort of sudden, no spikes. It, it was all sort of laid out fairly clearly on paper and that's increased over time. And, you know, the NBN has not been able to sort of accommodate for that increased use of the infrastructure, I think. Mm. And so when when we're talking about sort of the, the streaming services compared to, to gamers and you kind of you touched on it earlier bill morrow perhaps was thinking of a particular kind of gamer is that it's that that's a stereotype yeah. really isn't it like yeah. it's it's just bashing on you Absolutely. know a, you know it's this kind of idea that there's a bloke in his mum's basement kind of thing yep or you know like I, I think it's partly about the gaming i think it's partly about this idea of someone you know who's got their you know quad-core, super-cooled computer system that's downloading pirated torrents all the time and streaming pornography and playing games and doing <laughs> everything simultaneously. And we all know these, a guy like that. Yeah, <laughs> and putting these like simultaneous simultaneous demands on the infrastructure. But I, I think that's just sort of using a crude stereotype to try and push responsibility off N, uh, NBN Co for actually uh, being able to manage like actually a super predictable uh, change in Australia's internet infrastructure usage. Also, do you think it's his place to really say, like, 
uh, although he didn't specifically give direction as to how you should use the internet, it's kind of implying that if people used certain things less, it'd be beneficial to everyone. Is it really his place to be saying <laughs> how people should be using the infrastructure? Yeah, like, I mean, the point of an internet uh, service isn't just about creating sort of commercial opportunities for a limited number of actors in the system. It's about creating some sort of social infrastructure that we can use as well. Like the internet, we, it's not like we switch off the internet at 5 p.m. and then switch it back on when we all get to work at 9 a.m. if we have jobs fortunate to run to those times. Like it's a, it's a service that runs 24-7 and we have many different uses for it, uh, which includes sort of social and cultural uses that aren't just about trying to make money for limited uh, segments of Australia. Mm. I think this is where um, South Korea in particular had like a lot of quite sensible maneuvering around this because when they created uh, or you know invested in their uh, internet infrastructure back in the early 2000s, they actually created government portfolios which were about encouraging like cultural use of the internet, which included uh, the creation of an esports portfolio in there as well. Mm. And, you know, we're following on from that idea, I, I, I believe in the same parliamentary inquiry that Bill Morrow was in, um, there was a, perhaps flagged that they might use mechanisms to regulate how people use mm. uh, the MBN in peak times, perhaps. What, what would you say that? It sounds almost like an attack on net neutrality. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it, I, I've said it before, but basically the idea of um, implementing net neutrality sort of requires us to have a sort of already semi-neutral infrastructure, not the sort of patchwork system that we have at the moment. Um, I mean, like you can see the, like with the, the loss of network neutrality in the States at the moment, you can see people making claims that there's throttling of services like Netflix, right? They're not going after gaming users. They're, they're throttling people who are watching television at home through perfectly legitimate channels. And I mean, we, we might imagine that something like um, attacks on network neutrality might be implemented in Australia if someone did want to try and undermine um, the use of the internet by particular groups, but what that looks like, I, I don't know. Um, and also, just before you mentioned the esports tournament, the Electronic Sports League, is that correct? Yep. 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 I think and that's something David's pretty well positioned to yeah. talk about. So, yeah. David, you were involved with that on the weekend, is that right? Yes, I did go to it. Cool. And and so, um, what was your experience there? So it was a very um, unique kind of esports tournament, specifically um, in an Australian context. So in the past, um, well, in the past few years or so, we've actually seen a increase in international and local interest in esports tournaments within Australia, and we've mainly seen these sort of spectator-only events. This has been the case since last year. Um, there was two big ones last year, the um, Overwatch World Cup and the Intel Extreme Masters in Sydney, and they were very much a um, you-go-there-to-watch sort of deal. Whereas this one is very much more so a uh, expo sort of experience. Of course, there was the big flagship event. Um, on the first day, it was the Overwatch Contenders. On the second day, it was the Oceanic Pro League. But surrounding this event was all these other um, participatory-style activities. You could go and... Um, play Fortnite with a whole bunch of other people or you could go compete in Super Smash Brothers or you could go and um, buy from the JB Hi-Fi sponsored area. I mean, it sort of harkens back to the um, more traditional style esports events that, you, that we kind of saw before it kind of took off recently. Mm -hmm. And these were very much um, where the line between the spectator and the player weren't as clearly defined. So we're sort of seeing this come in waves a little bit. Okay. 
And they got about 10,000 people uh, at the event. Do you see this uh, growing in the future? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So um, the way the way it's been going so far is we've just seen each event be bigger and bigger than, than the rest. And and we've seen, particularly Melbourne, the, the um, this event was organised by the um, Department of the Premier here, along with um, the ESL, the... Uh, Electronic Sports League, um, which is a big international esports um, organization, and they've pledged to hold the um, Melbourne Esports Open every year up until I think it's 2020 or something like that. So that's that's yeah. that's great stuff. Do you do you think that I mean you know we've been talking about you know the NBN and its kind of restrictions, I suppose. With that in mind, how confident are you that Australia has a future as a you know esports? Destination, or at least involving itself in the international community. Yeah. So with the with the rollout of the NBN, and assuming that it gets going and it's <laughs> as, as, and it's as good as they sort of you know uh, in fits and starts, everyone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. This this is placing a lot of um. Yeah, it sort of relies a lot on the NBN actually being good. But if it can be rolled out in a way that is to the extent of as they say, then it's going to make Australia a much more attractive esports destination and and this is because traditionally Australia's been very much isolated from the rest of the esporting world both geographically and also due to our just awful internet connection <laughs> so this creates high latency high ping which makes it really hard for Australians to compete internationally it creates milliseconds or even seconds worth of delay from their inputs so that puts us at a disadvantage when you're playing against the Americans or the Europeans. It's amazing how much just a few milliseconds of ping can really affect your play and decision making and things like that. Yeah, and and it's honestly really um really held us back. But with good luck <laughs> and and this NBN, we may see this change. And well, we're starting to see some interest from international organisations, as we've seen on the um, past weekend, anyways. Cool. And and so Robbie, bring you back into it like yep. how how confident are you that the nbn will be able to kind of deliver on the things that they've been telling us they're going to be delivering for the last yeah, 10 years um, <laughs> with the current state of play <laughs> uh okay so my assessment would be that the nbn in its current state or in in its current trajectory we're going to end up getting something that's uh in you know uh three five years time uh, when it actually gets completed uh, you know, assuming that actually happens in a sort of neat, packaged-up way, it's not going to be an NBN that's going to be at a world standard uh, broadband network. It's going to be something kind of equivalent to what uh, you know a number of other countries would have had uh, in the middle of of this decade. So, I think um, my expectation is that in the future, basically, there will have to be a second wave, start from scratch, recreation of a broadband system for Australia because the current thing doesn't look like it's going to end up being what we what we really need to operate as a sort of networked nation, right? So my, my estimations are that if we get something that's sort of appropriate for esports, maybe we'll have something semi-passable uh, in a few years' time, but you know there'll be new games coming out, new technologies, new demands, and so we'll have to deal with um, yeah having a new uh, national broadband network created into the future. What ab what about the monopoly that the MBN Co has on the actual creating the infrastructure? Because I, I understand that TPG has started uh, rolling out their own 
fibre and they've got to sell it wholesale to NBN or some other thing like that. Do you see other companies t- uh, just taking it upon themselves to build their own infrastructure? Yeah, look, that that's not out of the question. I think um, if we look to the way that uh, network infrastructure in places like the you know, the United States and uh, New Zealand have operated in the past. It's often been with this sort of this idea that you can create commercial incentives to private companies to uh, create their own infrastructure, and Google has been doing that um, across the board in the United States. I think um, whether whether that's going to be like a solution to Australia's problems, I'm I wouldn't be quite so optimistic about it. You know, it's a it's a big country. Uh, as they say, so yeah, that that doesn't to me sound like a solution um, in the near future. But good on them for giving it a shot, I guess. So um, you you guys are researching obviously the relationship between the NBN and games. Where where do you think your research is going to take you next? <laughs> uh, look, uh, we have no idea. We're just sort of trying to scope things out for the future. Um, I think uh, David's been doing a lot of interview based work, and maybe he, he has some further ideas. Yeah, a lot of my research sort of follows why people are interested in esports and so far we've seen a lot about the sort of events at physical locations so at stadiums or even at places like bars even and we sort of know that there's a lot of people in australia who watch esports i mean we there's clearly an audience here but we don't really know a great deal about how people watch esports it's kind of just assumed that it's a uh, activity indulged by basement dwellers, you know? <laughs> so it's sort of like a guy in front of his computer, antisocial. But in reality, it's very much likely a more of a social experience um, based on what I've seen so far. Mm. And so I guess what we need to look at next is how people are watching esports, particularly in domestic environments. Sure. So, so with something like Twitch, like the, the website Twitch is, um, yeah. yeah, so yeah. Is, is it, are you, do you see a future where esports in Australia are as high profile as traditional physical sports? It'll, it'll be a while. I think, <laughs> I think we, we will see that once we sort of forget about the E in esports, once esports and sports sort of become one in a sense. Mm. But I feel like that's a long way away. I mean, there's a good anecdote I like to use. Like way back in the day, people would distinguish between font or text typed up on a typewriter compared to written text. But nowadays, you mean, it's just text, right? There's no difference. So I think once we see that in esports and sports, that's when we're going to really see super big esports stars. But I mean, we do have esports stars here. It's just not on the same level. Mm. And I suppose you're comparing it to countries like South Korea where... You know, it it is almost a national pastime now. Yeah, you know, absolutely. It, 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 it's happened in other places. There's no reason, I suppose, it couldn't happen here. Yeah. Um, Robbie Fordyce and David Cumming of the uh, University of Melbourne's Network Society Institute. It's been really uh, interesting uh, hearing your take on how the NBN is going to affect gamers and all of us in general. Thanks uh, a heap for joining us this evening. Yep. Thanks Thank for you. having us. Now, Dan, I've um, been reading an article last week and and I'm I'm not normally a New York Post reader but um it's it's an article that I that I found there that's kind of been echoing a lot of sentiment that we've seen lately uh following Elon Musk now um as as we possibly most of us are aware he's been in a bit of twitter spat with uh some people in Thailand relating to the uh 13 uh young soccer players who were stuck in the cave uh in July of this year um he accused via twitter one of the people who was uh saving 
or who was involved with the rescue of being a, um, a pedophile, which uh, is something that you don't necessarily accuse someone of do, doing lightly. Um, it seems like it's kind of highlighted something that I've noticed a lot particularly with with regard to Elon Musk, but as opposed to a, to a similar extent uh, when he was alive, Steve Jobs, where, yeah. there, where there is this kind of, um, I suppose, hero worship of these kind of tech geniuses. And, um, and what this article in the New York Post kind of uh, is, is suggesting that perhaps we need to kind of take a step back and stop or, or scale back the hero worship of these tech gods that, yeah. that um, are, are kind of... And that, that says it all right there by saying tech gods, like you're deifying them and um, when you're a god, you have no faults. When, but these people are clearly very human as mm. evidenced by uh, Elon Musk's childish uh, yeah. Twitter battle. Yeah, in, in, incidentally, this is stuff that he's not... These are accusations he's not backing down from despite the fact that it, the entire kind of like planet is saying, dude, you need to shut up. Um it's 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 interesting. Also, um, recently in the last couple of weeks, uh, Steve Jobs's daughter, uh, Lisa Brennan Jobs, has uh, released her memoir, and it doesn't paint her. It's 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 weird. It doesn't paint her dad in a particularly flattering light. He um he was kind of, you know, a distant father, as a lot of you know these people kind of would would assume. Um, but apparently, he used to tell her that she smelled like a toilet and all of this kind of stuff. But at the same time, she was almost like making excuses for him in the book. Well, you can see that from a like a daughter perspective that you you don't want to go slagging off your parents like no, you you know particularly if, once they're dead. Yeah, that's that's exactly right, and, but yeah. but also she would have had more contact with him than most other people in the planet. So she was up close and personal and got to experience his shortcomings the as clearly as anyone would and true um that that toilet line's bizarre because yeah. uh steve jobs apparently used to stink himself because <laughs> he, he believed that his fruitarian diet uh, oh, okay. gave him exemption from uh showering because he thought he was clean enough that he didn't need he wasn't to part of society or anything like yeah that. no but i mean it, it kind of it br- brings that broader question of kind of i suppose the the online pylon uh, in, into into perspective because i mean when people started particularly like in the last couple of months i've I, i'm going to go on record here as saying i've always been kind of uncomfortable with the way that people are, are deify and idolize elon musk i've i, I think that the, no one is that nice yeah the things that he does sure he's doing great things for you know electric cars and battery storage and all that kind of stuff but there's a huge ego behind that that I'm wondering whether he's he's kind of doing all those things not because he cares about the planet but because he's doing it for his own particular... Because he's just got a big ego. Well, he's got a big ego and he, yeah. he's got an image that he wants to project. I must admit that I uh, I really liked Elon Musk. I, I listened to his uh, audiobook, his biography, and mm-hmm. um, really loved it and just uh, everything he was doing and, and saying in the book was, you know, basically he's trying to make the planet better. But okay. His, then explain the flamethrowers. Yeah. That's just him, yeah. uh, you know, with that, all his money and his ego. That, so. is, that, is, that is like crazy. Yeah. The man, the man I don't know. I don't know. But well, I'm, I'm sure that we'll have people piling on uh, online, you know, these people who like, again, idolise Elon Musk and will go after him. His, his Twitter minions, I'm sure he's got billions yeah, on. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But sorry, you were saying. Um, oh, just how um, like, yeah, with like the flamethrower and like this uh, accusation thing. He's um, And the fact that he's sticking to it and said, oh, well, he hasn't, in tw- on Twitter, he said, "Oh well, he he hasn't sued me, so that says something." I was like, "Well, 
he has sued you. Yeah, like, he's, yeah. he's lawyering up, mate. Yeah, like, like these like, things take time. Yeah, yeah. so it, it's just bizarre to me. So uh, I think like anyone who gets that successful um, starts to crack a little bit. They they almost exist exist outside of regular society because of all the money and influence that they have. I guess. But, like, do you need to be that kind of person to become successful in the first place, though? Is, is, is that a question? I don't know. Yeah, possibly. Well, it's like a chicken and egg scenario where does the egomaniac become successful or do you become successful as a result of being an egomaniac yeah. or the other way around? I don't know. Or even is every successful multi-billionaire uh, an egomaniac or... Is, um, uh, does there other egomaniacs that don't make so, aren't so successful? And how many times can we say egomaniac yeah. in one minute? Yeah, well, well, we're talking about Elon Musk here. So. Well, this is this is true, but uh, look, I, I'm sure that you know deep down there there is there is you know a, a altruistic motivation behind it. But I, I think that this I can do anything attitude because I am incredibly successful. I mean, you look at you look at those guys compared to say Bill and Melinda Gates. Yeah, now they were, oh, well, Bill, Melinda less so, but Bill was, you know, the kind of tech god of the late 80s right through the 90s to the early 2000s before Apple kind of started stealing his thunder. It's it's interesting to note that he was he was much like uh, Steve Jobs. He was very protectionist of his, um, of Microsoft and um, wanted to basically uh, hold all the power in uh, technology. But when he went into, uh, what's the... Not Royal Commission. What's the American version? Oh, we, oh, in the in the 90s, where basically they said you've got a monopoly, so you'll have to break it up. It, yeah, it's interesting to see kind of this this turning point where he became a, a little bit more altruistic. Well, in that's his, it. Like um, I feel like he's made he made his money, and then um, you know very famously has put money a huge amount of his personal fortune into malaria research yeah. and into I believe dementia research, but isn't really looking isn't out there trumpeting you know himself unless you know, unless he's trying to um to drum up support support for, for his, his research yeah um and like uh, it's it it's almost a, it's a different thing i don't know if it's kind of you know just the changing of the guard and the kind of the different kinds of people who are who have been going into silicon valley and making their money in the last 10 or 15 years compared to the thir- 20 or 30 years before that but it's 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 interesting to see uh the the difference Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's well, we've, we're in for we're in for an interesting few decades. I think, I think you can start to see like history being written for like these men already. You can kind of see how the history books will write about them because, uh, like, say someone like John Lennon, who's internationally regarded as this symbol for peace. He um, he's a known like woman basher. He beat mm. up his wife and yeah. uh, other women. At, but John, John like, Lennon was a terrible. Person. Yeah, it's, yeah, but it's actually a lot of the time left out of the narrative. It's like he stood up for peace. He wrote all this fantastic music in support of um, peace. But uh, yeah, in practice, he was a terrible person. Yeah. So it just at, as time goes on, I hear less about him being a terrible person and more about the message that he was trying yeah. to... Yeah, well, that, that's true. And I, and I suppose maybe we'll we'll see that change with uh, Musk and, and Jobs as, as time goes on. But I mean, you know, for as long as they... Or for as long as they've released, uh, Musk is tweeting... He's probably going to be tweeting stuff that's annoying people. I was just having a quick look here at the kind of the things that uh, Elon Musk tweets compared to what Bill Gates tweets. Um, his bio, um, his it, it says sharing things I'm learning through my foundation work and other interests. And most of his his tweets appear to focus on doing good things around the world and teachers he admires. So uh, uh, it's this New York Post article that I was talking about earlier says that his most fiery tweet might be "I hate mosquitoes," but then explains that he does that <laughs> he does that because they spread malaria, not because 
because he just hates bugs, which I think, you know. <laughs> Justification. Justification. Yeah, look, he, ba- he backs up all the statements that he does. Maybe, maybe he, uh, Elon Musk can take a, f- a leaf out of, st- of uh, Bill Gates' book. Hopefully. Hopefully. I like listening to music. That's why I'm here on the station. I'm assuming, Dan, being the person who plays the music, you also enjoy listening to music. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I love music. Well, now, have I got a thing for you? Um, <laughs> I'm not trying to sell this to you, by the way. Now, I, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Bluetooth speakers as much as I am, but generally they can, like some can be great, depends on how much you spend on them. But uh, a lot of the time, have actually, here, here's an interesting analogy. Have you ever put your phone in a, like a glass, like an empty glass or some kind of bucket to kind of magnify the sound a little bit yeah, if you don't have a speaker done available? done it with a toilet roll. You've done it with a toilet roll. I generally do it with some kind of, yeah, like a, a glass. There is an, a new Bluetooth speaker that is on the market that um, allows you to screw in a soft drink bottle into the edge. So an empty soft drink bottle. Don't You need to empty the drink, make sure it's completely empty and then screw it in. And it actually boosts the bass and like all of the volume and sound on a very on what is a, a reasonably small um, uh, Bluetooth speaker by 10 decibels. That's actually pretty good. Perfect. Yeah. So if, um, you know, if you're out in the park uh, and your, your speaker is... A little bit, a little bit weak. Maybe you should consider buying one of these. It's only fifteen centimeters long, but uh, it's yeah. I suppose it's packs just, a bit of a punch. It packs a bit of a punch. You know, it's it's using those laws of physics. I'd, I'd be interested in trying to and seeing because like the the picture that they've used is of like you know one of those. And I'm not going to mention the company, but it's you know a very famous soft drink company that has a very distinctive looking bottle, um, and it kind of Passiona. Yeah, that one, <laughs> that one. But it just makes you think, like, in terms of like the the way that the 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 sound is traveling within the bottle, because yeah. obviously the acoustics of the bottle and the different shapes. It's, it's it sounds like it might be like messed up. I don't know. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Any profile of any bottle will change the sound somewhat. But yeah. Maybe they've uh, specifically engineered it to do um, sound good on anything. Yeah, look, I don't think they thought that far <laughs> ahead, to be perfectly honest. I, I reckon that might actually be um, a bit of a crock, a, a can of crock perhaps. Um, but, yeah, no, that, that could be that could be good fun. I yeah, don't know. absolutely. Now, Dan, you've, you've got some sad news? Yeah, very sad news. Um, my One of my favourite uh, uh, ever consoles as... Mine too. Yes, has finally... Uh, their services ending for them. The PlayStation 2 uh, has finally ended their run as uh, a console that can be serviced by Sony uh, in Japan. Yeah, so that's actually, you know, very sad because the, I remember I remember the PlayStation 2 was released in early 2000. It was 2000. Um, my, my brother got one for his birthday and it was annoying because I'd asked for one for my birthday for two months previously, but I didn't get it. And it was just because my brother... Oh, wow. Well, no, my, my brother's birthday came just after tax time, so there was money to be spent. Oh, I see. But that's all right. I don't, I don't hold a grudge because I played the PlayStation more than he did. Um, <laughs> it is sad. Like, I've, you know, spent many hours playing Guitar Hero 2 on a PS2. I actually have an old PS2 lying around somewhere. I was, I was somewhere. more of a Guitar Hero 3 kind of oh, person. Which one was Legends of Rock? Um, I could not tell you, but I know that uh, Freebird by Leonard Skinner was on Guitar Hero 3 and uh, we played that. That was like the last song we smashed that. I, re- I, re- I got a perfect score on, um, oh, what was it? There was Threes and Sevens by Queens of the Stone uh, Age. Yeah. And Helicopter by Block Party. I, I think I, I aced that one. Yeah, I also I also aced, um, oh, what was it? Uh, Cherub Rock by Smashing Pumpkins. Uh, this is now making me 
really sad. Yeah. Now, now we can't play these games yeah. anymore. Or we well, can, but if, if the console breaks, it, it yeah, can't be fixed. It's, it's done, yeah. yeah. So you'll have to buy a new one. Yeah, oh. well, I mean, that was always, the, I suppose, their, their shtick. But, like, I think good on Sony for supporting the PS2 for as long as they did. Well, up until uh, the Wii, it was the most popular console uh, of all time. It sold uh, 120 million units or Absolutely. something like that. And, and they only stopped making games for it, like, what, three or four years ago? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Pro Evo, did you say? Yeah, Pro Evo Soccer was the last game that they made uh, in 2014. It's unbelievable that it was still going. Yeah, like, and yeah, I, I, it's, it is a sad day. So, you know, uh, pour, pour, out, pour out your controllers for the, the demise or demise, depending on where you're from, of the PlayStation 2. Yes. It's, it's a sad day. We have an event or slash opportunity that uh, you might be interested in taking advantage of. Uh, Startup Victoria are running Pitch for a Spot, which uh, is a, an, an event slash competition with a prize of 12 months free rent at the creativecubes.co co-working space in Richmond and Hawthorne for the best pitch for your startup. So there are 20 spots up for grabs. Uh, so 10 at the uh, Richmond uh, location and 10 at the Hawthorne. So if you've got a startup idea that you think has a bit of legs and you need some space to uh, develop it with some like-minded people and get some support from Startup Victoria, um, it's worthwhile getting along and uh, getting the pitch because you could get 12 months free rent at uh, co- at these co-working spaces. Good uh, deal. A great deal, absolutely. Free anything is always a good deal. <laughs> yeah. um, Guys, thank you very much for joining us this evening. It's been great uh, having you on board here with Byte. Uh, Dan, thanks for being in the studio with me. Dan, thanks for being in the studio with me. Absolutely. And we would also very much like to thank Robbie Fordyce and David Cumming for joining us in studio. Uh, we have been Byte Into It. We'll be back next Wednesday evening. Uh, coming up next is Anthony Carew with the International Pop Underground. Stick around for that. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.